Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Hashtag Leadership What's On Your Mind, a podcast to get you to think and add value to your leadership journey at whatever level you are at. Bringing great guests um, with experience, but also experts in their field. And today's guest is very much fitting into that category. So we're speaking to um, Damien. How are you doing, Damien? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Chef. How are you? Good. So Demi is an international speaker, author, and as your co-host to the High Performance Co- Podcast says, a, a super brain. So how do you respond <laughs> to that? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's very kind of when Jake, uh, Jake, yeah, Jake said that uh, a while ago when uh, I was a bit embarrassed by it. Um, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm certainly not um, super brain, um, but um, I've written a few books um, and I enjoy working with the uh, with teams and with good people like yourself, Stu. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. So, let me just start quickly with with um, congratulating you on the High Performance Podcast. I, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, leveling up and sharing. We were just talking before we came on about sharing amazing people's stories, but actually all human, all real, really relatable stories that we can implement in our journeys as well. So, well, thank you for people who don't know you and that's surprising because obviously I know a lot of the stuff that you've done how would you describe yourself and introduce yourself well that's a good question um I I, I normally uh, um explain that I'm uh, my name is Damien Hughes I'm from Manchester um and then explaining what I do I divide it into three three camps really so um one of the jobs I do is I'm a visiting professor of organizational psychology and change at Manchester Met University so uh, that's one role. Another role I do is um, I, I work as a consultant across a wide range of different organisations, Stu. So I do uh, work in the corporate world, do work in education, and a lot of my work is in elite sport, working with leaders to create high-performing cultures that are strong and robust enough to cope with the kind of pressures that change brings to bear on it. And then the third job I do is um, I write and I, ho- I co-host the, the High Performance Podcast with Jake as well. Um, so I've got quite an eclectic uh, range of different activities that I do, but they all come under the same banner, if you like, of, 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 of helping people to create environments where themselves and others can flourish and thrive and perform at the best that they can. Amazing. And, and again, that is something I'm really passionate about um, delivering as well. So we always start with guests, uh, with you. So are you aware, whether you were aware at the time or on reflection, about where your leadership journey started? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in, in uh, North Manchester and uh, my background is unusual um, in some respects. Before I was born, uh, my dad was a boxing coach and he'd set up a boxing gym. In, uh, in the north of the city. And like a lot of boxing gyms, they're often based in uh, inner, uh, inner city areas. And a lot of them are based in quite tough environments. And that was no different for the gym that my dad had set up. So in the late 1990s, the area was categorized as being Europe's third poorest district, just to give you an idea of the kind of social difficulties that befell it. But the club itself, um, so from, was my playground. So I was incredibly fortunate that there was two areas that really stood out for me. One was about being around elite high-performing athletes. So there were a number of guys there that went on to box and win medals at the Olympic Games and become world champions in that sport. But equally, it was also around creating 
a culture where anybody could come along and feel embraced. And it was often like a sanctuary from some of the difficulties that people were facing out there in the normal lives. Um, and as I've gone further down uh, into my career, there's a phrase that's often used in academia that say, we don't do research, we do me-search, where we often try and make sense of our lives and our biographies. So mm -hmm. I think only as an adult have I come to really started to appreciate just how those two pillars have um, informed an awful lot of the work that I now do uh, in my own life. Because I'll give you a nice, uh, almost coda to the story that a couple of years ago, Manchester Council named the road uh, in honour of my dad and the work that he'd done in the area. And um, what was really interesting was it was a cold January day when uh, when it was unveiled, like Andy Byrne and the mayor of Manchester came along to do it. And uh, I'd say there was about 300 people turned up. And I'd estimate, Stuart, about 90% of the people that turned up had never set a foot in a boxing ring. But... Yeah. They'd been members of the club and they'd been along and they wanted to come and pay tribute to the impact that the, the, the culture and the environment that they'd got to experience, what it had given them and taught them as parents, partners and professionals in their own, in their own adult lives. And I think I just feel incredibly blessed that my leadership journey started there in many ways that I was fortunate to see how important high performance is and the demands that go into that, but equally about how important culture is in being able to provide that environment. And it has a massive impact, doesn't it? A massive impact. And it's in regards to leadership and high performance and business, sometimes we just think about what we can see and not necessarily what it's made up of and the foundations, what it's built on and, and the, the further reach of the impact you have on people and, and yourself. Yeah, definitely. So like, when I sort of um, had left school, I went and supported my dad in that environment. Um, so I worked as a coach and did a lot of fundraising for them and things like that. And uh, I remember once we did a survey amongst the kids. Now, I, I say it was a survey. That was a very loose term of just getting them to fill in uh, bits of paper. And one of the questions we asked them that really stood out for me was that we said, what jobs do you want to do when you grow up? And what you could probably guess is these were aimed at 14, 15 year old lads. The most common job was being a footballer, right? Because that's what they see. We're saturated by the coverage of it. Uh, but what really distressed us was the second most common job was that they wanted to go and work for a guy that was operating on the estate as a notorious dealer. Right. And it really upset us initially because we were thinking, thought we're doing better than that, thought we're setting higher aspirations. But the reality is, when we step back and took a moment to reflect, the answer that the kids were giving us was the same way any of us go to work. We want to be respected. We want to be fairly rewarded. We want to feel we can make progress. We want to make a difference. And for a lot of these kids, they were seeing football as the ultimate way out of doing that, or boxing. But with the best will in the world, what they weren't seeing was entrepreneurs or business leaders or politicians or any other route out. But what they did see was the guy in the pimps with Range Rover cruising around the estate. Yeah. with bags of respect, loads of money, being able to get away with what he wanted. So the answer those kids were giving us was actually perfectly logical. They only wanted what, what we all want out of our career. And what you often see is that sometimes within difficult environments like that, what you see is all there is. So often as a leader, your job is to help people see beyond the horizon, see that there is a better way, there is something that can be an alternative out there. And 
to sort of link it, you mentioned when we were talking off air about the podcast, and I think what's been really interesting on the High Performance Podcast is we've had access to some incredible guests that have gone on to achieve incredible things, whether this is like being an Olympic champion like Sir Chris Hoy or a world champion like Johnny Wilkinson or business leaders that have made billions, if that's if that's what gets you going. But what's really interesting is, or what gives me a lot of satisfaction is I'm hearing people using it with their kids or teachers using it in schools. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that even for some of those kids, if it just allows them to see beyond the horizon of their everyday, to see that you can find alternative ways to flourish and perform, that gives me an awful lot of a, a pleasure. As I know it does Jake as well, that was a very much our driver behind um, behind going and doing the podcast. Yeah, awesome. So let's get on to your um, tagline as such, the liquid thinking or liquid thinker. Um, yes. Yeah. Your and your tags on social media, which will be part of this podcast. Um, yeah. But explain what that is. And what, I didn't know until you mentioned it in, a, in the podcast. <laughs> I was like, I know that now, but let's just tell the audience. Yeah, so I often say, Stu, it's a multiple choice quiz. So your audience, uh, anyone listening to this, can can join in. Um, there's two on. There's uh, there's two options. So I use the phrase "liquid thinker" to describe the work I do. So one of them. So one of the options I'm going to give you comes from the work of a creativity guy called Edward De Bono. And many years ago, I read his work, and De Bono estimated that eighty percent of the problems that we come up against in life are through what he called solid thinking. The idea that we, it's like the Maslow phrase that if you assume that um, every problem is a nail and all you have in your toolkit is a hammer, that's the only response you do. So it's that idea of we do the same thing over and over again, often trying to force change. So when I heard that phrase, liquid thinking really resonated that, well, the opposite of solid is liquid. So you have fluidity in your thinking. You can see things from different perspectives to be able to face any challenge we make. So that's option one. The second option is when I was trying to think of a title for my book, I was uh, struggling and I was sat in a pub with my mate having a pint and uh, the inspiration came <laughs> while we were sat there. So There's I'll allow you... liquid involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Now, the real answer to that question is both of them are right. So <laughs> I was sat in the pub when my mate came up with the idea and said, well, you just got liquid thinking as well. And I... And I said to him, I said, if I buy you the next pint, can I have rights to that name without you ever coming back and claiming it? So that. he agreed. And but, but, but it definitely resonated because I, when I came out of the military, I, I made a, a definite, after about 12 months, I made a definite decision to sit down and evaluate what I'd seen outside the military bubble, if you like, as I keep saying. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that was quite evident of, of people were doing the same things you mentioned about over and over again and expecting different things. And there's lots of quotes around that type of thing, but it, it is so evident out there in the world with regards to, I, I deemed my term busy being busy, that everyone's busy being busy. And yeah. There's no kind of liquid thinking, thinking outside the box. And, and it's like, how do you get people to engage in that type of thinking? It has to be a very deliberate choice. That um, a metaphor I sometimes use is that, that, and this is appropriate given uh, my co-host Jake was um, was in the sport for a long time. Say, but the fastest sport in the world is Formula One, and yet this, whoever wins Formula One is decided by who manages to start most efficiently. 
So it's defined by your pit stops, not how fast you go. It's how how efficiently you can you can plan your brakes. And I almost think you need to give yourself regular time just to stop, think, and reflect. Get away from the phone. Get away from social media. Get away from all those other d- demands. And actually, just have time to think about thinking. Because, like you say, we we're often really busy doing. But I think just enforcing time to just put your foot on the ball, just take a just take a bit of time to stop and think and reflect is really difficult, but the rewards for doing it are huge. Um, and it's something that I learned, but almost by 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 accident in many ways. And it took me a few like the Johnny Wilkinson conversation was really interesting because I could really resonate with a bit where he was saying life kept sending him messages just to stop and think of a different way. And he kept ignoring it. He said he had 14 consecutive injuries and kept coming back and training brutally hard and then breaking down again. And he said, life just kept going along and bang, there's a message for you. Oh no, you're not listening. Bang, there's another one. And I felt like real resonance with that because it took me a while to do this, that like I got myself quite seriously ill at one stage where uh, I got myself meningitis. Um, I say that as if I went out and selected it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, um, I, I, but I, I, I was doing exactly what I didn't describe, uh, what I described not to do. Of I was working ridiculous hours. I was furious, just doing stuff. Like like everything was planned, and I was constantly on the go. And I basically ignored the warning signs that I was getting run down, getting ill. And in the end, my immune system was so depleted that I ended up getting quite seriously ill and getting meningitis. And that was, to me, like a really forced stop. It happened long, about 20 years ago now, but it was a really forced, prolonged break that was forced on me. And what made me reflect then was I thought, how many people do you know sort of like have had a serious illness and then have a greater appreciation of life or people that have driven like idiots for years and then have a bad car crash and suddenly learn to, to drive more courteously? And what struck me, I was annoyed at myself because I thought, why have I waited to have the equivalent of a car crash before you forced to do this reappraisal? When the reality is you had the tools to do that reappraisal at any stage. You didn't have to wait for life to come along and send you that message. So I'd encourage anyone with that to say, you know, that look like don't wait for life to come along and force you to listen by having to do something dramatic. Build in time just to get off the treadmill and just think about thinking the yeah. rewards of it can be huge do you know what you just reminded me i like visual cues to share stories and it's that whole thing about burning the candle at both ends and i saw this great picture of there was a candle lit normally there was a candle lit at both ends and then there was a candle that was just in flames the whole thing was in flames i was like i think the candle at both ends is actually a quite a, a lame representation of when people are burning the candle at both ends it's not just both ends, the whole candle is lit. And, and that's exactly what you're saying about it. People get to that stage where almost too late, but then on reflection that they need to do something about it. 100%. And I think liquid thinking then is that is that ability that when you just give you... And the reality is a lot of the time we have the answers ourselves. That I often say this when I work with leaders now, that uh, my job is simply just repeating common sense to them. <laughs> and just wow. helping them to tr- make that transference to make it common practice mm-hmm. um so awesome yeah there's often the, the 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 big barrier is just having time to do that yeah yeah so 
We've got five more minutes left. I know the time flies by, doesn't it? Uh, tell us about, um, I was going to ask you about your biggest impacts that you think you've had um, on a individual or team, whether that in business or sport. And can you tell us a little bit about those light bulb moments or that impact and why it was so powerful? Yeah, um, I'm often a bit reticent to, uh, to talk about any impact that I've had because the reason is that I've been incredibly fortunate to have worked with successful teams, but I always think if that I'm self-aware enough to know that my impact, that if I was to tell you I had a 1% impact on a team winning, uh, I still think I'm over-exaggerating my, uh, my importance there, Stuart, because I'd, in say working with sports teams, I often appreciate, I do appreciate it's, it's good coaching, good players and good environments all uh, all add up. Mm. So um, I think it's very difficult to attribute it down to one or two individuals in that. Yeah. So it's a difficult question to answer there. I mean, I've, I've been in, I've been incredibly fortunate to be around those environments and see Can some I give you some stuff. context on the question then? So please. one thing I always get people to think about is when you hear elite athletes talk, when they're interviewed yeah. afterwards when they're talking about their habits, behaviors, or it's very, very rare. They talk about anything, physical ability. Um, it, it's all the support team, the mentors, the coaches, yeah. um, the mentality, the mindset. And, and when you think about football, we were having a chat offline um, before we came on. And, and it's that there's thousands and thousands of people who are very, very good at football. It's the 1% who have got everything. So it's like, where, where do you fit into all the, some of the things that you've implemented that have had big impacts? I'll tell you, I'll tell you an anecdote from one that, that was a proper light bulb moment for me. So I don't know if this is, is avoiding the question, but I think it might be of interest was that okay. uh, I did some research for a book I wrote a few years ago called The Winning Mindset. And the premise was I spent three years traveling the world, interviewing elite sports coaches, going into their environments, observing them and talking to them about practice. And, one of the environments I went to, partly because it was an it, it, it was a fascination because of my own background, but um, I wanted to go to the Kronk Boxing Gym in Detroit. Now, this was a gym that had produced at one stage 30 world champions in a 25-year period. So Lennox Lewis went there, Tyson Fury's gone there now for context, but Thomas Hearns, I was doing a biography of him, and he was from that gym. Now, to get down there was quite... a a challenging prospect because it was based in a really poor area of Detroit, which was a struggling city anyway. And being a white English guy in predominantly black neighborhoods made me an object of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing felt very much like I was traveling outside my comfort zone. And when I got there, the head, I was feeling nervous and a little bit anxious and the head coach was waiting for me. He's passed away now, but he's a man called Manny Stewart. And as I get to the top of the stairs, he goes, Damien, he said, it's great to see you this morning. And he said, how do you feel finally arriving here at the Cronk Gym? So I thought he'd been polite. So I gave him a polite response. So I said, Manny, it's great to see you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to spending the next few days. And he goes, yeah, that's great. He said, now tell me the truth. How do you really feel? Now, I don't know if you've ever had verbal diarrhea, Stu, but I did. I'm stood in front of this bloke I've admired and I'm just babbling. I'm just talking about... <laughs> I'm nervous and frightened, I'm out of my depth and just going away. And he let me finish and then he went, thanks for being honest. He said, that now means me and you can work together. He said, I'm going to look after you. Now, when I got to know this guy better, I asked him, I said, do you know that first morning we met? He went, yeah. I said, why did you ask me the second question? 
he said the second questions when we started working together. So what do you mean? He said, well, he said, the first answer that you gave me, you were excited to be there, didn't match with the image I could see. You looked nervous and frightened. So that led me to one or two conclusions. He said, you were either a liar or you were a sociopath. He said, now, if I'm going to have you in my world and we're going to work together, I need to know who you really are. So the second question just accelerated the process. And he said, and the second question told me that you were telling lies because you were trying to be polite. And he said, then that also then made me assume you're a decent bloke. And he said, but I work on the second question with everybody that comes into my world. He said, because I, most people feel nervous, frightened, scared, intimidated out of the depth. He said, no, I think I'm the best coach in the world, but I can't coach you when those emotions are clouding your judgment. So he summed up his whole approach in a three-word philosophy, which was contain, then explain. He said, if I can contain you, your emotions and get you to feel safe, happy, content, valued, respected, I can then explain how we're going to work together to get better. And that's been a real seminal moment for me in terms of my philosophy which is about treat people with kindness treat people with respect treat them with courtesy help them try and understand their story before you ever make the assumption that you can work with them and help them improve so i don't know if that answers yeah. your question yeah that's really good um, and a great finish as well that that was unbelievable and again when i speak to people about um these i love transferable skills and i love i love the storytelling and I know that an audience of business owners in the corporate world thinking about changing their perspective, adding value to their journey, that's a great story because you can really start to resonate those little bit of elements of that's not my world, but it is. And you can start thinking and telling stories around that as well. So, Damien, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to have Pleasure. you on. Thanks for having me on. Thank and you. I, and I know I had a little joke that... Um, I always encourage people to come and listen to your podcast as well so that we're allowed to have oh, number one and number two podcasts. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, no. Well, listen, thank you. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for your generosity. Yeah, no problem at all. So um, everybody who's listening or watching on our YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe, like, share, hit the notifications. It comes out every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Make sure you check out the links below for Damien and myself, social medias, followers across your um, social media platforms. And please add value and share your takeaways from each episode. So, Damien, just lastly, thank you so much again. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye.